Ready? Ready. Feel the rhythm. Feel the rhyme. Get on up. It's bobsled time. Cool <laughs> Yep. I know you remember that movie. Cool Runnings was a movie that was playing over and over in my household when I was young. I loved it so much. One, for the Jamaican accent. Who doesn't love a good Jamaican accent? And two, for the incredible story of these guys from the Caribbean who found a way to make it to the Olympic Games. And that's just what I wanted to bring on to the show. Today, I've got one of the Olympians from the original Jamaican bobsled team that the movie Cool Runnings was based off of. This is Devin Harris. Devin was one of the captains of the Jamaican bobsled team in Calgary in 1988, France in 1992, and Japan in 1998. The guy has figured out to take himself from Olympic Gardens, a small village in Jamaica, to the Olympic Games. It's actually the name of one of his TED Talks that you can find very easily on YouTube or anywhere on the web. He's got a story of triumph, and I want you to see why he believes that people foolishly believe that their past is an accurate predictor of their future. He wants to destroy that belief system, and he tells you just why in this excellent conversation that we have. So without any further ado, let's get to the show. I bring to you today on Creating Space, one of the cool runnings legends. This is Mr. Devin Harris. Devin Harris, wagwan, my brethren. Yes, man. Welcome. Uh, thank you, Wes. Thank you for, uh, for having me on. Wagwan. Everything good? Yeah, everything is great. If I could go back in time, Devin, and tell my 11, 12-year-old self that I'll be having a conversation with one of the individuals from Cool Runnings, the amount of times that I watched that movie and was inspired by all of the athletes in that movie, I mean, this is really a come-to-greatness moment for myself to be able to sit across from you and talk about how you discovered your greatness. Wow, Wes, I appreciate that, man. It's, um, you know, we, when we all develop the courage to go chase our dreams, I think it, it stems from, for want of a better term, a selfish place. I, we, we want to better ourselves. We want to improve our own selves. But in the process, though, we, we get a chance to, you know, to inspire others to improve uh, their own selves and to, or pursue their own greatness. So, you know, it's awesome. I appreciate that. So you hail from Olympic Gardens, Jamaica, and it's a small town, I would assume, inside of Kingston, Jamaica. And you talk about in your TED Talk, which is a fantastic TED Talk, from Olympic Gardens to the Olympic Games, for those listeners who are interested. You talk about walking outside of the front steps of your home and seeing an affluent village across the way from your home and having dreams and aspirations of somehow being there. What did that mean to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I grew up in Olympic Gardens, so I, I guess I was destined to become an Olympian. Um, but but yeah, I will describe Olympic Gardens um, West as a village. It was actually one of the more notorious enclaves of um, uh, in, in Kingston, one of the more violent, depressed um, ghetto areas um, in, in Kingston. And 
And um, yeah, and so, you know, there's actually a lamppost right outside of my gate, or that, that little shack that I grew up in in, in, in Olympic Gardens. And um, when I was never in school, when I was not in school, I should say, because I actually spent, um, you know, six days a week in school, um, participating in some activity or the sort. Um, so whenever I was home, I would be standing at that little lamppost, my favorite spot, and I would kind of gaze upon the hills, you know, um, and I look and cast my eyes on the hills, literally and figuratively. And there was a, I had a really great view of this place called Forest Hills. And Forest Hills was lined with big, beautiful mansions, you know, um, houses that would fit into almost any affluent neighborhood in the U.S. And I would just dream, and I would just dream about, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm losing my voice. Well, what's going on? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would just I would just dream about living in a nice neighborhood and um, you know doing some special things in, in life and that's kind of how the journey and and why my TED talk from Olympic Gardens to the Olympic Games um, came about. You've always been a visionary to me. You've always had a desire for more. And in your TED Talk, you talk that people foolishly believe that their past is an accurate predictor of their future. So my question to you is, what is the word visionary? What does it mean to you? Yeah, you know, so it's, it is true, though, that you know, so many of us spend our lives thinking that um, – our, our, our circumstances and our past um, will dictate how our future will unfold. Uh, and it's one of those things that I grappled with with many of the guys that I grew up with in Olympic Gardens. You know, and, and honestly, I kind of had to, to separate myself from them uh, as a teenager. I'm like, listen, we're not friends anymore because um, they're – their prospects, they, they, the, the prospects that they saw for themselves was, was I mean, truly grim, West. They, they just um, didn't see themselves uh, progressing beyond Olympic Gardens. And, uh, you, you know, me standing at that lamppost and looking up on forests is such an amazing metaphor for life. And, and I obviously didn't realize it then. But, but uh, you know, it... it in, in as I stood there in the abject poverty and the uh, and the really grim situation, there was nothing in that environment that suggests that there could be success. As you look, as I look beyond those circumstances, though, I saw that there were people um, enjoying success and living success and having success, and and I there was just something in me that believed that I could have it too, and I think. Uh, you know, a visionary is one who have the courage to dream, um, the, the courage to, to, yes, look beyond their current circumstances and and dare to say, you know, if, if I just try, if I just launch, man, if, if I just give it a shot and, and it, it, you know, it, it's obviously not going to be easy. It's like trying to go uphill, literally, to forest hills, but, but figuratively as well, going uphill. Um, climbing out of your your circumstances, whatever those may be. The courage to dream is very powerful. And the way you said that really captured me in this moment. So take me back to that lamppost. All right. You're sitting there. You know now that the individuals in your life are toxic for your future. And you know you need to have the courage to dream. 
What was the first decision you made, the action that you took to begin the path of chasing your dream? Yeah, you know, so you know, I say all the time, you know, that um, in the moment, the, the, the action that you take um, in the big grand scheme of things may be really small. But for you in that moment, it's huge because, you know, that's all you know how to do. And that's the thing that in, in many ways is pushing you out of your comfort zone or um, it's uh, separating you from the rest of the pack. You know, all of a sudden you seem different, quote unquote, because you're not doing what everybody else did. And, and so the, uh, my standing at the lamppost moment and the action that I took then was, believe it or not, to stay in school and work hard and 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 do well and look, I'm I'm no road scholar, right? But but I also understood that if I didn't take care of business in school, which you know many other guys that that, that I grew up with, uh, that was not a priority for them. In fact, you know I used to be ridiculed man, and and teased, um, you know, on my way home from school. Uh, about, about you know being in school at, at my age and at nineteen, and it's not because I was slow, West. But, uh, <laughs> at, at nineteen, I was the only guy at my age and, and still in high school, you know. But that that's because I did two extra years. Um, it, it, we have a different system in Jamaica, so I, you know most people finish school in the the eleventh grade at seventeen, and I went and did the twelfth and thirteenth grade, um, advanced levels they call it, and. Um, yeah, you know, so so that was the thing. That was the action because that that was the thing that would set me up for the next step of my journey. My mentor talks so much about how life is a huge puzzle, and each puzzle piece you're having to take small steps to reach and find the next puzzle piece that will push you in the right direction to continue to build the greater or macro vision, which is the the overall puzzle. So I read here in uh, what a fantastic resume that you have, that you became a graduate of the Royal Military Academy in Sandhurst in England. Yes. Is that, did you directly go there from Jamaica from at 19 years old? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, my first trip out of Jamaica was to Sandhurst. Um, so um, so why, the, why the military? Yeah, you know, so you blame my grandmother for that, man. So <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I, I spent my early years with, with my grandmother in, in rural St. Elizabeth, a very rural part of Kingston on the southern side of the island. And she was an amazing storyteller, man. And she was just, she, I, you know, the story, the, the, the story that I kind of remember the most are the stories she used to talk to tell me about soldiers and how they could perform these amazing feats and, and not get hurt. You know, they could jump down in these deep gullies and not break their legs. And it was just, I mean, it was just amazing. And it just fired up my little five-year-old imagination. I'm like, wow, that sounds really, really difficult, but I would love to do that, you know? And and so that's how the dream of um, uh, becoming a soldier uh, was born. Um, but more than that, though, what, what she did was that she fired up my mind to to believe that I could attempt uh, and pursue goals that others thought was impossible. So, so as I grew up, and I'm like, you know, I want to be a soldier. Um, and I, 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 as I got older, I discovered that you could actually enlist in the army as an officer. 
not, not just as an enlisted man. And again, I didn't know if I could do it. It seems impossible. And, and quite frankly, uh, you, you know, f from coming from where, where I'm from, my background uh, as, a, as a kid growing up in the ghetto, that was um, a high, highly an unusual thing for a ghetto boy to aspire to, becoming an army officer. Um, so, yes, yeah, so going back to the lamppost, I understood that I had to stay in school and get my grades. So because that was the thing that would get me in the door to enlist in the, the army as an officer, right? And so right after high school at 19, that's exactly what I did. Um, and, you know, went through a really rigorous selection process, but, but you know, I made it, went through basic training and then um, ended up at Sandhurst. You had tons of speed, bags of speed, I, I hear. Uh, fast, one of the fastest guys on the grounds. You were running track. Uh, it, it was an eight, you were an 800 meter sprinter, correct? Well, 800. <laughs> it's kind of funny you say I had bags of speed. I mean, compared <laughs> to what? <laughs> <laughs> well, compared to maybe all of the other mili uh, military uh, you know, so, officers or whatnot. Man, here, here's the thing. It, 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 Wes, you know, growing up in Jamaica, it's tough, man. It's tough being me because it's like everybody was uh, blessed with the sprint genes except me, and I couldn't win anything, man. Uh, <laughs> on the 400, and I really wanted to win something. I'm like, darn it. And I started looking around, oh, 800, and I ran that. I won. I'm like, okay, cool. This is my race. You know, all I have to do is hang in there until the other buggers get tired. <laughs> and I will win. <laughs> so you, you made sure you just. Uh, opened up the distance. The further the sprint, the better chance yeah. you had of winning because your That's desire to compete and to win was greater than than any other Jamaicans. But that is where all of a sudden an, a new idea, something that came from outside of your reality, popped into place. What what happened at that moment? Yeah, so it's interesting because um, you know one of the things I talk about these days is keep on pushing and uh it, it, it's it's about going through the process right and and embracing this idea that you are that as human beings we are designed for for continuous growth and i remember i was 21 years old at the time i you know finished my army training i was no one officer so you know i kind of for all intents and purposes i made it and, and I was having this intense conversation with myself. And I was like, man, you're 21 years old. What are you doing with your life? <laughs> you know, so I'm at 21. I'm like, you know, so you're an army officer. So what? What next? Is this it? <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm like, oh, yeah, the Olympics, the Olympics. You know, it's, it's 1987 and the Olympics were coming up the following year in Seoul, Korea. And so um, I, I recommitted myself to this idea that, I wanted to compete in the Olympic Games. And so every morning before I reported for duty, I, you know, I go run my five miles, you know, really, really hard. I'm trying to get fit, trying to get in shape um, to get to the Olympic Games in 88. And then two Americans came up with this idea to start a bobsled team. It's just a confluence of coincidences, so to speak. Uh, you know, I ran in a, a cross-country race and, um, in the army, I finished 14th out of 40, and and they're like, oh, oh my God, he's fit, you know. Um, and so my colonel, you know, told me that I should go to the team trials. 
in my mind, though, really uh, kind of to make up numbers because there's a philosophy in the army that says officers must always participate. And the colonel had a bunch of enlisted men going, so he felt he should send his young, fit officers to go. Yep, see, I sent my officer. Um, but, but you know, I I didn't. I spoiled the plan. I, I I went and I made the team, which is not what he was counting on. So. That's fantastic. But, Did you surprise yourself in that moment, Devin? Were you thinking, man, I, I, I'm just going on a, on a hope and a whim. But when you got into the competitive mode, did you surprise yourself with how fit you were? No, I, I, no, I wasn't surprised. Um, because when I, after he told me I, I was going, so I wasn't going there to make a number, Wes. I was going there to make the team. I didn't know if I could. I mean, it, you know, I was seeing all these track stars from the army and a whole bunch of civilians were there as well. And, and, you know, I'm a middle distance runner. The, the test, um, that we went through were, were all sprint based. It was, they were testing speed and explosive power, but I just went there with, with such a determination to, to, to get selected that, you know, I just tried my darnest man. And, uh, you know, here we are. And so the, the two Americans that wanted to start, the bobsled team, were they there watching you sprint? Were they seeing what was happening and, and the greatness that was uh, soon to become, which was Devin Harris? Uh, uh, yeah, they were there, actually. Um, uh, just it, it, the, the selection process for the team it, it ran over three days, and the first day was um, them kind of introducing us to the sport. I mean, the only thing I knew about bobsledding was it was a winter winter sport. It was fast and it was dangerous. And I couldn't have described a, a bobsled to you. And so that first day, they showed us some some clips of uh, old crashes, and it was scary to say the least. Um, you know, show some of the equipment that's used in the in the in the sport. And then the the next two days were, were the test proper. You know, and um, yeah, man, I was I was I was hustling. I was trying my darnest to kind of being that top four spot, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know where I finished up, but but obviously I got selected. So you were selected, and then you were given the honor of being the captain of the Jamaican bobsled team. What do you think those Americans saw in Devin Harris that allowed them to be comfortable with donning you with the captaincy of the bobsled team? Well, well, let me clarify something real quick. Actually, we, we, the four of us, there were the initial four was uh, myself, Dudley Stokes, who was an army captain, a helicopter pilot. Um, Samuel Clayton was a, a railway engineer, um, the only civilian on the team at the time. And, and Michael White, he was, um, a, a private in the army. He was a radio operator and the fastest guy on the team. So, so we actually selected the captain, see, among ourselves, but, the very first captain was Dudley Stokes, um, you know, it, and it does it. It kind of formed naturally in the sense that three of us were army, and you know, there's a pecking order in the army, and so if Dudley is an army captain, I'm a <clears throat> excuse me, I'm a lieutenant. Michael is a is a private, uh, uh, you know, on a newly formed team. The, neither the private nor the lieutenant is going to get the leadership over the captain. Um, so in 1988, Dudley was a team captain, but then I um, was selected team captain in 1990, two years later, and, and I continued. So you've been given this 
grand responsibility of being the leader of the Jamaican bobsled team now for France 92 and Japan 98. A lot of people are afraid of taking responsibility for their lives or, or having the gall and the gumption to lead not just others, but to lead themselves. Mm-hmm. So how can individuals who may be afraid of chasing their dreams, what did being a captain of that team teach you about taking the responsibility for your own life? You know, I like, um, I like to put myself in a place where, you know, you, all, you, you almost have to succeed, right? It's like sink or swim kind of thing. And um, being the captain of the team, being, you know, meant that, um, I had to lead by example, and so it, it, it meant, you know, working as hard as I could. Um, you know, one, one of the things I recognize uh, or I've come to recognize is that when you're when you're the captain, when you're the leader of a team, um, uh, let's start there. You know, a lot of people feel that, boy, you know, I have to be the best on the team, and I don't, and I don't believe that. I think you have to be your best, and I say all the time that I've been a captain or a leader on a sports team of being a leader in the, in the military. And I've, I'm under no illusion that I was the most talented athlete on the team or the most skilled soldier um, in my unit. But, but I was a leader nonetheless because my men, and my teammates, they knew I, was, I would always give up my best and it would always be at a high level. Um, so as a as a as a leader, you and I learned this um, uh, from in the army and also, of course, being on the team that you have to be competent. And so you're absolutely right, Wes. It's it's taking responsibility for your own life. Um, um, uh, and, and you know, if I could go back to my keep on pushing message, understanding that you have to embrace, you have to have a passion for personal development. You have to. Uh, but constantly working on honing and developing your skills so that you can be a person of value. Uh, you know, that's what leaders are, really. They're people of value, and, and you can't uh, pass on value to someone else if you yourself are not a person of value. You talk about in your keep on pushing message that you want to help people avoid the victim mentality or a victim mindset. So how do people realize or recognize that they have a victim mindset and how can you help them change that victim mindset? You know, um, the victim mindset is is really uh, an acquired or learned personality trait, you know, which you know, um, a person tends to regard him or herself as a victim, you know, as a, as a casualty of the negative actions of others or, you know, or of life itself, right? And then they, they tend to behave as if this is the case, that they're a, a real victim, they're, they're real casualties of life, even in the absence of clear evidence that this is, this is the case, right? Um, and sometimes, yeah, well, who doesn't have bad experiences? Who doesn't have, uh, you know, trials and tribulations? Um, but when you, when you personalize those things and, and don't and are unable to or choose not to see beyond that and see that you can actually sermon that, yes, you do embrace, you do take on this victim mindset. And, um, so, you know, we're talking about, you know, responsibility earlier, personal responsibility. And, um, you know, 
uh, I think it's Einstein that says, you know, as human beings, as you know, men, man must cease attributing his problems to his environment and and learn to exercise his will, right? His personal responsibility. And so I think when you find whatever your circumstances are, you know, um, you know, poor health, um, uh, you know, your business is struggling, your relationship isn't working well. Um, that kind of stuff. I, I think the first step is not is stop stop complaining, man. Stop whining. Stop and simply acknowledge that you know what this is what it is. You know, my health is crappy. The business is is failing. You know, the relationship is toxic. Um, and and you accepting that is not a resignation to your circumstances. It's an acknowledgement that. Man, this is where I am. This is my starting point. And so, if we go back to the whole business of vision, then you, you, the, your next step is to imagine what this would be like if it was working in the way that I would like to work it, and then and then get to work. Start making those first um, small incremental steps to change it. I mean, you know, when when uh, and and so it really means also, you know, doing what I'm going to call a a real job on yourself mentally. Um, you know, I think every successful person I've had to to work on their mindset um, extensively in order to uh, push themselves beyond where they are right now. Your passion and your desire to continue to develop yourself personally has been what has put you in the place that you are today to be a natural born leader and to lead people out of their own darkness. But I'm sure when you talk about exercising your own will, I'm sure you've had to do that in a multitude of times. Devin, if you could reach back and give me an example of one of the hardest things you've had to push through in your life to date. Yeah, you know, um, it, it, it may very well be the thing that like, jumps at me is, uh, you know, my basic training uh, in the army back, back in Jamaica. Um, and, you know, so, so first of all, they, they kind of, the army, you know, it does that. It breaks you down, man. They, you know, they break you down. They, and then they supposedly build you back up. Right. But, um, you, you know, physically it was intense. It was incredibly difficult. You're talking about incredibly long days that start around four in the morning and, and end about two in the morning, you know, so you're, and, and with so little break in between at the, at the very beginning. And, uh, and the, the worst part about this, Wes, is, uh, you know, the training depot is up in the mountains overlooking Kingston. It's a beautiful view. Oh, my God. Breathtaking, right? It's, it's, it's really supposed to be a place where you're on vacation and, and chilling and kicking back, right? And so there's this juxtaposition between this amazing view of Kingston Harbor and this and this hell that you're living in as you're going through basic training, um, and then I think part part of the thing that made it so difficult for me is uh, was the pressure that I had put on myself to to do exceptionally well. I mean, it, it was a smart thing um, I know now, but um, that's that's how intense I was back then, and and understanding that this was really my shot. Out of Olympic Gardens, this was, uh, you know, my opportunity not to go back to that lamppost and stand there dreaming. 
Um, you know, so so that made it really, really, really difficult. And the fact that I, this was the first hurdle, it was a major hurdle, but that was, this was one I needed to cross in order to get to Sandhurst, which was the, the, the next important step. So, so yeah, basic training was was uh, one of the most difficult things that that I've had to overcome. It's a great story, and I believe wholeheartedly that action breeds confidence. So when you step outside of yourself and take action towards your goals, it will slowly you will slowly build the confidence of being able to overcome adversity and go through the process, and you'll build that self-confidence that you need to take you into the next step of the journey. But tell me this, Devin. In 2011, I remember I had reached my dream. I was playing in the MLS in Vancouver, and I was enjoying the lifestyle of a professional soccer player, but I had reached my goal. And there was a part of me who was so unhappy because I had I had finished the the race, so to speak. And I didn't have the ability or force myself to redirect my vision to something new and something higher. I thought I had made it. So there are some times where you can reach your dreams or things that you have aspired to and then lose the desire to keep it because you haven't refocused your dreams. What are some ways that you've learned as you have transitioned through your life to find what it is that is the next aspiration for you, redefine your goal and go chase it again? Yeah, that you know that's a really good question, Wes. Thanks for that, and it's a, a an important one as well. I think um, all of us who have uh, you know sought to strive to achieve and and finally achieve that goal um, do get to the point where you go, wow, you know what's next? You know that's the conversation I was having with my twenty one year old self, and I think it's a conversation that and that led me of of course to the Olympics, and it's a conversation that we all have and should have uh, you know some of us unfortunately don't have that conversation we succumb to what i call the destination disease you know we we are uh, we, we in, in our minds we have arrived and then there's nothing left to accomplish and i think that's um, that's an example of someone living a compromised life um, i think you have to be you know a pusher um, you have to keep going and and so it's it's it, it comes down to soul searching, man. You know, um, it, the Bible says, uh, "Seek and you shall find." And it's not; it didn't say seek one time and you will find it. It just says seek. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that implies a, a, an ongoing process until you kind of get to that place where you go, "Okay, yes, this this is the next step." And I and I found myself there as well. Uh, you know, so at 21, okay, what next? Oh, the, the Olympics. And then, you know, I, I went to Calgary and is, and I knew I wanted to uh, continue to compete. I was still serving in the Army. And I, in fact, my first Olympic Games were while I served. But th- at that point, I'm also saying to myself, okay, so what's the next thing? Um, is it going to be the Army? Is it going to be something else? And I, and I just... It, yeah, so I'm seeking. I was just seeking, and um, and you know when you're whether let's say you're out in the wilderness, so to speak, and you're searching for an oasis. Every now and again, you're gonna find some mirages, right? And or you go down a different, you go down a certain track, and it 
it connects you to something else that leads you finally to the oasis. And I think that's kind of what happens to me. I tell stories well, so forgive me. Um, so um, as I'm trying to figure out what was the next step of going through the seeking process, I um, I stumbled against uh, uh, across an ad in the Jamaican paper about hospitality management, you know, um, working in the, the, the hotel and the tourism industry. I'm like, ah, this sounds interesting. And because um, I like traveling, I like meeting people. And so, 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 so that kind of provided uh, a path, uh, a new path for me. I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retire from the army. I'm going to pursue hospitality management. And so that's what I did. I, uh, I retired. I moved to New York and, and started, uh, you know, going to school to get my hospitality management degree. But then the bobsled bug was still biting. And so um, I said, okay, you know, let me put that on hold and go pursue this thing again. Uh, and it is that in that in the process of doing that that I discovered what I'm doing now, motivational speaking. And so, um, yeah, it's 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 about uh, when you get to that point, it's about constantly asking yourself, you know, what next. And I think if you seek, you will eventually find. Devin, your analogies and your symbolism is part of what makes your story and your message so powerful because you can connect both for the individuals who are captivated by your story um, and your, you can, you know, build the bridge between your story and, and the vision of the process. It's so good, man. I, I love to say that life is, a, is like a bowling alley, right? And you're the bowling ball with the bumpers up. And through life, you're going to bounce off the bumpers in the direction to the pins and hopefully to the to the dream that you have you know set for yourself so as we begin to round this inspiring story out i got a quick question for you if you could look back in your life and break your life down to two or three key words that you feel are the key to life what would you say are a couple of words two or three words that are really the key to having success in life? Um, uh, dream. It starts with a dream. Uh, faith. You know, faith in yourself, faith in God, or your higher being, and persistence. You know, you can't get there without, uh, you know, finding a way to endure through the difficulties. Wow. For the listeners, guys, if you don't understand why this guy has the ability to pursue and capture what it is that he's looking for, then you know now. Devin, an incredible story. I am so thankful that you've taken the time out of your busy schedule. You're in Nashville right now for tons of work. I appreciate you taking the, the time out of your schedule to come on the show. And I want to tell you, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for you chasing your dreams without questioning yourself for you continuing to redefine your goals, which has put you now in a situation where you can teach other people how to do the same thing you have done. And I'm inspired by you and, and your story. And have always been even before I got the opportunity to interview you. If we could round this out with one question, last question for you, Devin, as I'm so grateful for you and the opportunity to, to sit with you today, what is Devin Harris grateful for? Huh. Um, you know, I read a quote recently that says, uh, you must be obsessively grateful. And, um, I'm, I'm working really hard at practicing that, at just being, uh, obsessively grateful, you know, for everything, man. So I'm, 
I'm, I'm grateful. You know, I always say when you wake up and you, if you stick your elbows out and there's no wood on either side, it's a good day. So I'm just absolutely grateful for being alive today, man, and mm, being able to breathe some air. Um, I'm grateful for you, Wes, and 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 the opportunity to you to be on this uh, show with you and uh, have a chance, hopefully, to influence and inspire. Uh, someone else, you know, that's kind of my life purpose as I see it. Um, oh, so grateful for my family, uh, my wife, my kids. I'm grateful for the opportunity to to be on stage and and to share my story with with people and 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 to have the opportunity to continue to do that. And definitely grateful for all the people in my life, um, those those who have constructively helped um, me uh, along my journey. And I'm, I'm definitely grateful for the ones who uh, wanted to be, I tried to be stumbling blocks because they made me stronger as well. And what a strong individual you are, Devin. Truly inspiring, truly incredible story. Thanks for coming on to Creating Space. And I hope you continue to be the best version of yourself so you can continue to lead all of the individuals who are so passionately following you. Yeah, man. Take care. Devin Harris, ladies and gentlemen, and what a story it is. There's so much to respect about Devin's ability to search for a vision and then grasp that vision and chase it without any fear. You know, he mentioned at one point he was so thankful for the people who got in his way and made his journey a tad bit harder because he said it made him that much stronger. I want you to think a little bit about maybe some of the individuals in your lives who are causing you a little bit of friction thank them. Be appreciative of the role that they play in your life in this moment because they're pushing you to be better and they are helping you. So appreciate them. Make it known that not anyone at any point can remove your vision from your heart unless you let them. Don't let them. Absolutely in no circumstance, let anyone take your dream, your vision, and your passion away from you. Now, With that being said, on Saturday, I'm bringing to you Jessica Improta. Jessica is a mindfulness and meditation expert in California. She's actually the owner and CEO of Ohm Lab out in California. She's a licensed therapist and lifestyle strategist with a degree in molecular biology from Princeton University. That's right, molecular biology from Princeton University. She's been all over the place. She's done a lot of things and done a lot of things well, but she's found her sweet spot and her passion in mindfulness and meditation. And what Jessica Improta is going to teach us is how to find the gap and how to pause in your life and use it to your advantage using mindfulness, using meditation. It's going to be an excellent follow-up to this podcast, one that teaches you how to force your way through and chase your dreams unabashedly. Then we bring Jessica in to teach you how to balance all of that ambition, all of that desire with a little bit of pause, a little bit of meditation, and a little bit of mindfulness, teaching you how to be gentle with yourself at the right times. 
So share this podcast, make sure to continue to comment, rate, and review, and make sure you hit me on social media. Let me know what you're thinking of the podcast. Bring me individuals that you want to hear from. I've had so many people shoot me DMs, give me ideas, and I've gone out, chased every single one of them. I am very passionate to continue to listen to you guys. Make sure I'm bringing you the right content and get you the individuals and the stories that you want to hear that you feel will motivate you to go be a better version of yourself. So continue to do that. Continue to create space for more, and I'll see you guys soon. Hey.